just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. My guest today is an author, and he writes both fiction and non-fiction books. His latest book is something of a blend between these two, perhaps being more along the lines of something like The Go-Giver, or maybe even The Alchemist, although this is something more, as he would describe, as a business parable, where he is exploring themes around success and life balance and what's really important to us in the first part of a trilogy of books that he's going to be exploring these themes. The conversation was fascinating. I think you're really going to enjoy listening to Matthew Turner, my guest. The book is called Beyond the Pale. It's going to be available very shortly, if not already, depending on when you are tuning into the show. And I highly recommend you check out a copy. I've already had the pleasure of an advanced copy and I really love it. And I think you will too. I think you're really going to like Matthew. So enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, the podcast for speakers and professionals or anyone who wants to present with impact. Hosted by presentation persuasion coach John Ball. Remember to like and subscribe. If you're thinking of starting a podcast, there couldn't be an easier way to get started than getting started with Buzzsprout. They have all the tools and resources you need for starting a podcast and getting out to all the major podcasting networks. Check out the link in the show notes and get your podcast started today. Welcome to Speaking of Influence, Matthew Turner. Great to have you with us. How are you doing, Johnny? I hope you are well. Thank you so much for having me here. Well, we're we're chatting at the start of spring and how is spring looking where you are? Right now, you can hopefully see it just shining down. And we have a bit of sun here in Yorkshire. Um, still a bit cold. One of those where it looks warmer than it is. But yeah, we've, for the most part, had for the last week some very nice spring weather. But it's it changes so quickly here. I think we're due some snow. Later <laughs> in week, which is insane but yeah apparently the, the joys of english weather uh, yeah. what, what's the best thing about spring in yorkshire for you it's everything i live in this kind of hillsides so up in yorkshire it's there's no flatland it's just hills rolling hillsides beautiful views so it stays green all year round but at this time of year it's when the flowers start to, to bud. It's when we start to get a bit of greenery back on the trees. Grass starts to grow again. So everything is just coming to life right now. We're still in that kind of transitional point where it still feels very winterish, even though it's sunny. Right. But literally, it changes like that. And every time you go out, you notice a few more flowers budding in the garden. Everything just is growing that little bit quicker. And yeah, in another couple of weeks, we'll be just surrounded by live foliages yeah it's a beautiful time here indeed english countryside in the spring is one of my favorite things excellent let's get into what we're here for today which is to talk about some of the things that you write about and you are an author of several books yeah i've just completed my fifth like main book a few short stories and uh, sort of side project books that have been linked to other books in the past but yeah here it is beyond the pale you know it's glory i just got the first batch from my publisher that's good two weeks ago now so the last couple of weeks i've been sending them out to people who have pre-ordered in, in previous campaigns and peers and mentors so it's it's always nice when you get to hold a book and it's been a long time in this one it's yeah. a special moment thank you thank you for sharing that with us so let's let's get into this because you may be unusual as an author in some ways because you have written fiction but also written non-fiction and this latest book I understand as being something of a blend of the two. That's right. It's a fable. So I always liken it to like The Alchemist. There's a novel, first and foremost. It's a work of fiction. But I've interviewed 
around about 10 people, entrepreneurs and, and authors themselves, people who have inspired me personally in recent years on my own journey. And I was lucky enough to speak to them and ask them questions specific to the lead character's journey and bring their actual selves into the book. So even though it's a work of fiction, it's very much set in the real world. It's bringing in real people and their real stories and their real insights. So there's an actual message. It's not just fiction for the sake of escapism and art. It has those elements, but there's like a tangible point and purpose to it all too. So it's a bit of a blend between fiction and non-fiction. Yeah, I think possibly one of the only other people I can think of who who maybe has done something a bit similar is, is Ken Blanchard with some of his books, yeah? Yeah, Ken Blanchard. There's been a few over the years. Like The Monk Who Sold His Ferraris mm. is a kind of example of that. And yeah, like you say, some Ken Blanchard's books. There's been a few, but there's not many. There's not that many novels specifically written for be it entrepreneurs or business owners or executives, people who are wanting to escape a little bit and just get out of their daily grind, but still be rooted somewhat to their work or their personal development. What was the genesis of this particular book there? Was it a particular idea or inspiration? Was it fully formed initially or, or something that developed as you spoke to people? For those watching, you might be able to see here the subtitle is a fable about escaping the hustle and finding yourself. And this whole notion of the hustle is a key thread throughout the book. And I started to come up with the idea a few months before I learned my daughter, my youngest, was coming into the world. So it was around about this time of year, early spring, four years ago. So when was that? 2017? Yeah. And... I was with my partner at the time and we were starting to think about moving in together. I'd learned a great deal about myself because it was the first big relationship I'd been in in a long time. Certainly the biggest relationship I've been in since I'd started working for myself. So trying to get that balance between work, when to switch off, trying to be a good partner as well as doing the work that I did to do. And I started to just start to muse over this idea of like work-life balance and its true meaning. All had come on the back of me writing my previous book, which was nonfiction called The Success Mistake. And for that book, I interviewed 160 odd entrepreneurs about their biggest failure and the lessons they learned from that and how they turned mm. it into some form of success. And I realized by interviewing all those people that they had a very key insight and definition of what success meant to them. And that they didn't really subscribe to this hustle culture, which is so prevalent these days. A lot of the people I admired the most from interviewing that book, and some of them made it into this one, was that they weren't particularly subscribed to the work hard and work all the time mentality. A lot mm. of them didn't work that much, but they were very intentional about the work they did do. They had a good work ethic, but they said no to a lot of things. So all of these things were coming into me and I was just musing over them and I was trying to relate them to my own sense. I was working with a client and they'd just released or I mean, in the process of releasing a fable of their own. And I'd always had this ambition of one day colliding my fiction and nonfiction together. And I can't even tell you, there wasn't a, a particular moment when the idea of Ferdinand and his journey, which eventually became Beyond the Pale, came about. It wasn't like an aha moment. It was just this organic thing which happened over the course of a few months but on the back of a few years if that makes sense yeah. and then it really became concrete when i learned about imogen we had to fast track all our plans my partner at the time and me moving out and suddenly we would have to i, I had to make sure that i was going to be working less in a few months time and i was going to have to earn more and it would have to be more consistent because I have bills to pay and I would have a daughter as well as my son who was living with a, you know, a previous partner at the time. So life just seemed very real all of a sudden. Everything had just been cranked up a notch. And it, it forced me to really hone in on how I was living my life, how I was spending my time. And I realized, even though I'd never subscribed to this work hard into the night and... I, I, that's that was the perception I always had at the time for the hustle. 
it was the Gary V's of the world. Those people right. who were just like, yeah, say yes to things, you have a side hustle, you have a side hustle on the side of a side hustle. If you're not working 18 hours a day or eight hour weeks, then you're not an entrepreneur. That's what I always presumed the hustle was. And I yeah. never subscribed to that. But I began to realize there was a lot more to the hustle than 80 hour work weeks. And that I was very much caught into it because the fact is I wasn't waking up and the first thing I was doing was opening my laptop and right. I was doing some form of work. I was in the coffee shops until close time, like seven o'clock at night doing some kind of work. And I would come home and I would do an interview or two or something. And I realized a lot of it was just busy work. And I was just obsessed with being on because I was too afraid to be off because not being off would be like, what if I, you know, don't make it? Am I, do I have what it takes to take a step back? I haven't made it yet. And I, and I struggled to, to disconnect. So I was always emails for the sake of checking emails, checking social media, saying yes to everyone and trying to be everything to everyone because I didn't have the confidence in saying no. And I realized that's what the hustle was. And yeah, it just totally redefined my entire outlook of how I was living. And the bits and pieces of what was beyond the pale beforehand started to come together. And as imaging came into the world, that story just unraveled and became words from head to paper. Yeah, that's great. I, I like the where you're going with that particular thought. I've talked a few times on my show about my early days of getting into learning in the personal and professional development world, but probably most of the stage speakers that would see in the earlier days and they're probably a lot of them are still around seem to be really teaching this philosophy of turning everybody into type a personality go-getter overachievers much like you're describing working like 80 hour weeks and like live to work rather than you know, working to live and very much like like i say if you're not working then what you're doing <laughs> you're messing around wasting time and this is i would maybe take as being in the hustle and I found that personally damaging because I knew I was never going to fit into that really. And, and I also saw people trying to fit themselves into that, destroying themselves, destroying who they were at, at a fundamental level, like their whole character, because they were many cases going against their, their real nature, who they really were. And it took me a long time to realize that actually you can have different kinds of success and you can have success on your own terms you can't be lazy about it but nor do you have to be whipping yourself and making yourself work ridiculous hours and forgetting about everything else in your life so it's it's good to good to hear that people are rallying against this whole idea i think it's a fantastic point and yeah, it sums up the situation I was in. I was trying to be, you know, more extroverted. I was trying to be, yeah, that type A personality. And it's one of the reasons why I, when I came into business, I, I, I created Turndog as like my business. But really in the early days, it was like an alter ego because I felt like I had to be this more open person, this more confident, extroverted person. And that was Turndog. Whereas Matthew has always been pretty private, pretty introverted, doesn't want to do it. And so that's really how my alter ego did because I was trying to be something to someone which I believed I, I needed to be. And I've learned over the years that it doesn't have to be that way. And as, as you say, I think there's a lot of people out there who are trying to turn you into an extrovert, trying to turn you into a type A personality. And it's not to say that that's wrong. Like when I talk about all oh, the anti-hustle, it's not to say, oh, if you work to 11 o'clock at night, you're a bad person. It's not to say if you work 80 hour weeks, you're a bad person. Some people are out there. They are type A. They need to be surrounded by people. That fuels them. They love working. It doesn't mean they're always at the laptop doing work per se, but they want to be at events. They want to be doing those interviews. It, it keeps them alive. If they're not doing that, it's it, it just doesn't feel whole to them. And if that's the, your natural self, and that is absolutely fine, that's not the hustle. That's just you being you. There's not that many people out there. There are some, but there are a lot of people who are on the opposite end of the scales trying to be that. And there's even more people somewhere in between trying to be that. And it's just about being comfortable with who you are, finding a 
whole life balance is what I call it. That works for you. Yeah. And yeah, just trying to stop being that someone to some other people and yeah, just embracing your way. Yeah. I like that. I think one of my biggest problems with that philosophy of uh, trying to become an overachiever and burn the candle at both ends to get business success when that's not who you naturally are. The thing I dislike about it the most is that it gives the impression that's the only way and that people who've been out there have been teaching that that's the way to make it happen. That's the only way to make this happen. You can never have any kind of success. Now, you were saying earlier you got some different definitions of success from some of the people you spoke to. Can you give us an idea of how some of those compared? Well, they were sharing stories of what we just talked about where I was speaking to someone who, for instance, wasn't a type A, but in the early days, they were trying to be that. They were trying to spread themselves too thin, trying to subscribe to a particular idea of who they felt they needed to be, whether it was being more professional, being more confident, being more out there, being more extroverted. And it led to failure. It led to self-sabotage. It led to burnout being one of the more common stories I heard when interviewing all these people for a successful mistake. Sometimes burnout led them to the hospital. Sometimes it led them to divorce or sabotaging their family life. Sometimes it led to bankruptcy in some cases. Sometimes it just led to just mental health issues like depression or anxiety, or they just didn't feel healthy. They just didn't feel good. So burnout was something which came up again and again, because, and it makes sense, you're bound to burn yourself out. If you're not a type A personality and you're trying to be that because you think it's the only way, you're bound to burn yourself out because you're constantly grinding those gears. If you're naturally a type A personality, a lot of the stuff which I would consider hard, for instance, going to a networking event every night and being around people, I find that exhausting. But if you're a natural type A person, that isn't exhausting, that's fueling. So it's actually fueling you. So you're not gonna get burnt out if you're that kind of person, but if you're not, you are. So I just found all these stories of people reaching that point where they were either forced to change their business or they just felt compelled to. And then they would share stories of the success after the failure. They would talk about, these days, I I wake up at nine o'clock instead of five. These days, I don't work that hard. And I've heard all these different stories of people finding success with different approaches not working particularly hard, not working weekends, all these things which when you get started and like you say, you listen to all these type A people on the stage saying this is the only way to do it, you just think these aren't the successful people that can't do it. So I realized that there was uh, a way to do that. But more importantly, I started to hear different definitions of success. Again, I was led to believe that to be a successful business person, you need to have a big company. It needed to be making a lot of money. It needed to have big, a lot of team members. But I had these people on you know, my show listen to them share stories for the book saying, I had the big team. I got rid of a big team, and now it's a really streamlined team. We're not making as much money, but I'm still making enough money for me. I'm, it's still success for me because I have more time. I have more fulfillment. I feel better. So I started to get an insight into all these different versions of success, and it made me realize, what does success mean to me? And then I started to realize most people don't actually know what success means to them. Most Mm. people are just subscribing to a version of success, be it society's version, their parents' version, the people they follow online's version, but they don't take the time to actually think, what does success mean to me? So once you actually take the time to dive into what success means to you, and you start to consider that there are many ways to skin a cat, as we say, then you can open yourself up to a complete new way of living. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And it's something I often will work with my coaching clients on. And because I think very often, and it's not, not just from those sorts of well-known voices in, in the world of like influencers and personal and professional development people who, who have that. I've even found in, in the world of business, there are people who have very fixed ideas about what success is and what it isn't. And it usually does have a, a kind of dollar amount on it and a size amount on it as well for, terms of what we have in business as to who in some cases who's even worth bothering speaking to 
Because if you don't have that, don't they even want to be around you or associate with you because you don't have the value that they're looking for in the conversations. And that's that point at which you end up maybe only having conversations with people who you think you can get something from or have a particular value to you and losing all the potential value of people who perhaps don't quite fit that mold so much, but may have, as you say, different kinds of success. So, you know, there those ideas of success are somewhat institutionalized as well. Massively. When you think about it, the one thing just about everyone, especially in the Western world, have in common is that we have been through the education system from a young age, from like the age of five or six. And you think about the type of people who are rewarded in school. It's those people who are naturally gifted at studying. They like to read. They like to learn. They're the more typical version of hard worker. They are good at learning. They are good at book learning. The people who struggle more at school are those who are a little bit more creative. They might be more artistic or they might have a greater imagination. They find it harder to achieve in school. And they're always led to believe if you want to get the best grades, if you want to get into university, if you want to get the best jobs, if you want to be a success, then you need to study hard. You need to get good grades. You need to work hard. You need to model yourself on that particular person in the class who's always great. But that person often... It's just they naturally gravitate towards that style of learning. Whereas the kid in the back who's more creative, more artistic, it's really difficult for them to be like that. So you're constantly being pigeonholed. This is what success looks like from a young age. And it is. It's it's systemic in that sense. It's society's version of success. It doesn't matter how nonconformist you are, how much of a rebel you are. There's always going to be that seed in the back of the mind of, I'm not successful because I'm this kind of person. And if I want to be successful, I need to push myself to be like that. And it's once you get older and you start to see more of the world and you start to meet more people, and that was the big thing for me with the success mistake, I began to meet more people who were successful, who were inspiring, the kind of people who I aspired to be more like. And I realized they weren't that version of success, which had been thrown at me from all directions my entire life. I started to actually see proof that there was different ways to be full, fulfilled, to have meaning and such. I think perhaps one of the things people struggle with the most when they're getting started with is, is this thing of feeling they want it now. They want everything now. They want the money now. They want the success now, the, the being known. They want it all as soon as possible, especially if money right now is, is an issue, if it's not there. And you maybe feel a long way from any kind of business success. Uh, often is one of the things that people end up blocking themselves with by trying to do too many different things at wants to because it has to it's all or nothing we have to get there now and yeah i've done it myself and and the hardest thing in life is to simplify and focus but you know that's where real success happens that's where you get into your zone of genius by dropping the stuff that actually is distracting you from the things that are most important that you could actually be making a bigger difference with if you let go of uh, all the little rocks that you're trying to carry uh, and yeah. push your big rock instead, it, it's it's a bizarre thing, but I think we all do it. I want to get maybe a bit of an idea, Matthew, about what your own sense of success is. What, how, would, how do you define that for you? One of the things which I've realized over the last few years in particular, and something which I've become more comfortable with, is that I am, I suppose in society's view, a somewhat lazy person. And I'm okay with that. I don't want to be working particularly long and hard. I, for a long time, when I started working myself, and even when I was an employee, I was trying to be everything to everyone. Yes, yes, yes. I was scratching the surface. What I desire to be is something to someone which is going a mile deep. And going a mile deep is something which is mentioned throughout the book this idea of having a purpose-driven business, being more specific. And for me, success isn't about having a particular amount of money. Obviously, money is important. We all need it to have a roof above its head and to be able to live the lifestyles we want to live. My version of that ideal dollar amount is almost certainly going to be different to yours, and it will change over time. 
as my tastes change, as my responsibilities change, right. as my desires change. It's an evolutionary process. It's never set in stone. So money is always going to be important to an extent. But I've realized I don't necessarily need that eight-figure business. I don't want a team. I literally don't want a team of 20, 30, 40 people, really. I want a small team. I want to be able to ease into my day, start work at 10, and just do two or three hours on a specific task, and then maybe an hour or two in the afternoon, just reviewing some work, and then clocking off by five o'clock and not clocking back on again until nine o'clock the next morning. That's, for me, success. Just having that kind of lifestyle where I can just go away with my family for two weeks and be absolutely fine with it, where I can just have a weekend off. Knowing that there's enough money there, knowing that I've built a foundation and I've built a business to support this, but not with that urge where I got to keep saying yes to this client where I've got to keep saying yes to this project, where I can pick and choose. I'm a less is more kind of guy. I've always been like that. And I've just started to come to terms with it more recently in the last couple of years and, and being okay with it, knowing that if I can get to that point, I'll be okay. I don't want to work hard. I don't want to work yeah. long into the night. I want to be more focused and intentional with my work. And as a creative Sometimes when I'm working hard and trying to force the issue, it defeats the purpose. I need to give my time to just think. I need to give my time, self time to just walk and smell the roses. That's where the inspiration comes. That's where the good content comes from. It's interesting in, in these times we live in, probably over the last year or so, many people have been reevaluating whether the life that they're living is really for them, whether it's time to make some changes. Some people maybe have been put in positions where there's no option, but to reconsider that is because yeah. life before isn't able to carry on as it was. And so it has become hopefully an opportunity for many people to start to view their lives and their professional lives, especially a little differently and to perhaps look at making more positive changes that are going to improve quality of life for the future. Uh, and undoubtedly getting into some of the concepts that, that are in your book are going to help people clarify that and think about really where they do want to go. You've mentioned a, a few of the insights or a few of the things that are themed in the book. And, and you talked about the alchemist earlier, that that's very much a journey that you, know, you get taken on with the author. Can you, without giving the game away, of course, without, can you give us some insights into the sort of journey that people will be taking through reading your book? Yeah, of course. So you follow Ferdinand Foy, who's the lead character. And he's a, a, an exaggerated version of the kind of person we all aspire to be. He is the definition of success. Silicon Valley success owner has a like 300 plus million dollar company on the fast track to becoming a billionaire. That kind of success. We don't ever, I think most of us would like, we have your dream of like becoming like that, but we know that, that we're probably never going to reach that level. But we see that person. We see Elon Musk and the Matt Zuckerbergs and stuff like that. So he's like an exaggerated version of who we could all be. But the point is that at the start of the book, he's trying to pigeon himself into being like that Taipei personality. He's trying to be the person he thinks he needs to be. And he has an awakening as such where he starts to open his eyes and it leads him on the three stages throughout the book. And these three stages, I think, are true for most forms of growth be it personal growth or business growth, some kind of growth you have with a partner or whatever else. And the three stages are an awakening, an ascension, an evolution. And I liken it to being, so there's a mountain involved in this and there's a house. So imagine yourself right now, you are in a nice little wooden hut that you've made for yourself and you've built a fence around this hut got a nice little apple tree in there and it's a real comfortable existence you feel safe inside this little picketed fence you are feeling safe you feel comfortable it is your home you're aware that there's an entire world beyond the fence or beyond the pale which is where the book comes from but you're too afraid to step beyond it because it's the unknown so you can see what you can see but you can't see too far because there's trees and you're underground level 
and you can see there's a mountain just beyond a few trees, but you can't really see much of the mountain. You're aware it's there, but you don't really have any more knowledge than that. The stage one awakening is, it's like this moment you actually are inspired to go beyond that pale, to step over the fence and go outside of your comfort zone. Maybe it's someone who's opened your eyes. Maybe it's something. Maybe it's a series of something that has just evolved over a period of time. Or maybe it's a situation like you uh, alluded to, lockdown and COVID. And you step beyond the fence and you have a moment there, red pill, blue pill, matrix style, where you can either close your eyes, go back inside and remain comfortable. Or you can take a few more steps and decide you can't unsee what you now see. You're going to keep your eyes open. And by doing that, you find yourself at the foot of the mountain, just staring up. And all you see is just like a huge concrete rock face, right? That represents your transition from stage one awakening to stage two, the ascension. It's the climb up the mountain. And it's scary as hell because you have no idea what's at the top. You've got no idea what route to take because all you can see is like rock. You can't see all the different footholds and everything. And you just have to believe that you will figure it out as you go along. And it's hard. Like, it doesn't matter what the ascension represents for you, whether it's a small version of growth or if it's something life-affirming and life-changing and monumental, like climbing a mountain's hard. The ascension is always hard. I think even if you're an experienced mountaineer, there's never going to be a point where it's easy to climb a mountain. You're going to get cuts and bruises. You're going to find yourself going up a bit of a dead end, having to come back down, navigate up. And it may take you hours, days, weeks, you just don't know. And that's the ascension. But at some point, you find yourself reaching the top, heaving yourself back onto your feet. And you're able to look out at this new view. That represents your transition from stage two, ascension to stage three, evolution. Something important happens when you reach that stage. You start to actually comprehend the growth you've taken, like the growth you've achieved and the journey you've taken. For one, you're able to look down and see that old house and you're able to realize just how small it was compared to what is out there. You're able to see an entire new world which wasn't even in your sight back when you were in that house. There's woodland and lakes and other mountain ranges and everything else. But you're also able to look down on the journey that you've taken up the mountain side. And you're able to, with hindsight, realize, well, if I was to take that again, I would take a different route. I'd be able to fast track my process. You're able to appreciate that all those hardships, all those failures, all those mistakes help lead you there. You can learn from it, be a better person for it. And you're now at the top and you have grown, you have evolved. But often evolution is just the start of a new awakening. Because as you turn around, you realize there's another mountain, a bigger mountain, just over there. You were never aware of that mountain when you were in your little house, because all you could see was this one. And you could barely even see that because of the trees and your fence. But now you realize there's this whole new mountain. And again, it's a new awakening, and you get to choose whether you are going to step beyond your new pale and climb that, or not to go back down. You can live whatever life you want to do. So for me, when it comes to growth, when it comes to navigating life, we're always going through these stages, awakening, ascension, evolution, and they overlap one another. Some represent small things in life, some represent big things. But it's never a one and done thing. Just because you evolve and you reach stage three in one area doesn't mean that's that. It's a cyclical thing. And I think we go through it over and over again until our end of days. And once you're conscious of it, you can become better at navigating it. Ascending the mountain is never going to be easy, but the more you do it, the easier it gets. The more you push yourself beyond the comfort zone, the easier it gets. The more you appreciate that you have to delve within, you have to go a mile deep, the easier it gets. It never gets easy, but it gets easier. And in, in essence, that's what the book does. It's Ferdinand going through awakening, ascension, and evolution. But this is just book one of three. So over the course of the trilogy of books, it represents 
book one being awakening, book two, ascension, book three, evolution, but each book will have its own mini awakening, ascension, and evolution. And it's just representative of Ferdinand's journey of where he is, trying to force himself to be a particular person, and then just allowing him to slowly but surely become the person he actually is. Sounds good. I, this is the kind of uh, thing that I often find myself talking with my professional coaching clients. And uh, I can see that I'm quite possibly going to be recommending your books on a regular basis to them, because I think often there's rarely a better way to get these sorts of principles and, and ideas and concepts across to people than with story because you can yeah. talk about all the information and data and statistics and all of this as much as you want and the science and the research, but what really gets to people, what really gets to the heart of people and changes people is story. And as much as the, the perhaps the alchemist is a, a catalyst to spiritual change and understanding, uh, it's important to have these sorts of catalysts to understanding what's important in life and business as well. So it sounds fantastic. Excellent. Yeah. Absolutely agree. And I think it's something that entrepreneurs in particular, again, because it's this notion of they feel like they don't have the time to read novels. Mm. They don't have the time to read fiction because if they're doing that, it's time that they're not spending on their personal development. It's time they're not spending on growing their business. They don't feel like they can escape because if they're not working, they don't care. I think <laughs> one of the great things entrepreneurs in general can do more of is not read those how-to non-fiction books. If you're wanting to learn something specific, absolutely fine. But more often than not, you will get what you need from the books you read if they are fiction, if they are historical, if they are autobiographies, if they are psychological or philosophical or spiritual. You will find what you need from good books. They don't have to have a seven-step blueprint. I think one of the greatest things on Marge fans can do is just read. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. One of the most powerful and transformative things for me, I'd say over the last five to 10 years has been reading more and studying more about Stoic philosophy and reading yeah. books about the Stoics and, and studying more. Thankfully, it's become a kind of a more popular area for people, which is one of the reasons it's come into yeah. mind and many other people's awareness uh, recently, even though it's been around for, for centuries. But just even in terms of business transformation and how I think about things and how I manage myself and being more mentally resilient in things, that has been more profoundly helpful to me than just about any business book I've ever read. Yeah, and absolutely. I've only just started to really scratch the surface on stoicism. It's touched upon. It's threaded throughout Beyond the Pale, but it will play a larger role in the second and third books. And it's because I'm purposely like, even though Ferdinand doesn't represent me, it's a chance for me to write about things that I'm personally venturing on myself. It's part of my own ascension. And stoicism is something I've specifically wanted to throw myself more into in recent years, because I think it does align with like my less is more mentality. And it's more aligned with my true self rather than that forced person who I think I need to be. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's excited as I delve deeper into stoicism that future books will have more stoicism in it. Yeah, it's a fascinating philosophy. It's a fascinating way of life. And I absolutely agree with you. The more times I've spent reading those kind of books that just share good stories with you and try to nudge you along rather than give you a force-fed blueprint, the more I've personally started to take from things, definitely. Yeah, we like to be able to put ourselves in the position of yeah. imagining ourselves in the story. And it's, it's one of the reasons why uh, stories can be so powerful, just, and just one of them. But yeah, we, we like to take our own lessons, our own learnings and, and understanding from things. Great. I, so. I wanted to also, before, before we start wrapping things up for today, but I really wanted to get a bit of an idea about why did you choose writing as your format? Is it something you, you've always done or uh, feel naturally, um, drawn to or was it something you decided to develop for yourself it's crazy to think i'm now um, 36 and if we'd have gone back I, I, 
I say 15 years, but it's a bit longer than that now, probably 16 or 17 years. And uh, said to that version of Matthew, you're going to be a writer one day. He would have just have laughed. I didn't do a lot of writing or reading growing up. I was all about sport, never particularly good when it came to language because I struggled with grammar. I struggled with spelling. I think if looking back, if I was tested then, I would have probably been on the spectrum for like, um, I forget the name of it now. Getting my words mixed up. and Dyslexia? Dyslexia, yeah. There we go. <laughs> Perfect example of it. I think I would have probably have been, because people, are, I, I just were tested when I was that age. I think now people are tested more often. I think I would have realized I had dyslexia growing up. Right. So I always struggled because like we said earlier, I didn't feel naturally good at it. I was always more towards the bottom of the class when it came to things like English. So I didn't feel good at it. So I stayed away from it because it didn't make me feel good. I didn't feel particularly good. And I got into writing around about when I was 21 after a rough breakup. And I just started to journal as a form of therapy. But my mind, and I look back now and I appreciate throughout my younger years from you know, being six, seven through to my teens, I've always had a pretty wild imagination and I've always created stories. Like you said, creating stories to help better make sense of the world. I always learned better when teachers used the power of stories to teach. And I always made sense of things better myself when I would use stories and just come up with stories in my head. I've always had this. I just never associated it with reading or writing, anything like that. So I started journaling at 21 and it just naturally gravitated to, I've got an idea for a book. So I started writing it just because I felt like I could and I felt like I wanted to. I wasn't a writer back then. I had all the traits that I needed to learn that makes a writer a writer, but I was a storyteller. And I realize now that I've always been a storyteller. I've just had to learn how to write over the course of my 20s. And it mm. was my first book, Beyond Parallel, which was an on-off project of about eight years. But it played a key role in me leaving my job because I wanted to write more. I wanted to write nonfiction as well as fiction. I wanted to publish my first book and just see where it went. And one novel turned into two, turned into three. The Success and Mistake was my nonfiction book, which I was writing throughout all of this. And just through the course of a lot of writing, I've learned like my particular style and voice. I've learned enough of the technical aspects to get along. And I'm able to do it not just for myself, but when I ghostwrite for clients too. So it wasn't a, I wish I could say, oh yeah, I, I always dreamed of being a writer from a young age. It's just not the case. And it, really found me in my early 20s and thankfully i just never pushed it to the side or at least i didn't push it to the side long enough for it to remain out of sight and the more i've let writing into my life the more it's just consumed it there's a lot of people who might well appreciate hearing that who maybe haven't felt like they have been writers before or that it was something that they were naturally drawn to they think, well, maybe i could give it a go and start practicing it uh, yeah, unfortunately, around the age of 21, I think I got into writing very bad poetry rather than journaling or, or writing any books. And uh, thankfully, was very quickly discouraged from that part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the, the thing is, I think you can always learn a skill. Yeah. For me, writing is a skill. Storytelling is more of an art. And I think it's harder to learn or force yourself to learn, should I say, and I think if you need to force yourself to learn a skill to encourage an art form, that's easier. Whereas if you want to force yourself to learn an art, that's hard because art comes from within. It's more of a natural expression of yourself. And as I say, as I look back now with hindsight, I realized I've always learned through the art of storytelling and I've always expressed myself through the art of storytelling. I just, over the years, have had to learn how to write which is very much a skill. So yeah, if you're naturally drawn to stories, if you're naturally drawn to that form of expression, you can teach yourself to write. I think it's harder to teach yourself to express yourself in a specific way. It's, it's also hard to start with something and not be good at it right away <laughs> and, to, and to, to push through that stuff to get to a point where, where you have to have that sort of faith in the future that 
if I keep doing this, I will get better at it. Yeah, and I'm proof of that. I would hate to think like there's early drafts of reading beyond parallel. I think I would cry myself to sleep if I had to read those again. Because, yeah, I was not good, but I had a lot to learn. And practice yeah. makes perfect, as they say. <laughs> it is part of the journey. Yeah, absolutely. The ascension. Yes, I sometimes talk about what, like, the very first time I ever did a YouTube video, how bad it was. Uh, but, you <laughs> yeah. know, also my, like, my first time doing public speaking, you know, is a lot of what I do. It, it was terrible. Uh, and probably the first, at least the first five or so times that I actually got up in front of professional people or audiences to speak, audiences that weren't in training courses and the likes, it was pretty bad, but it got better. And now it's at a point where I can get up and do this and people are like, wow, you're so good. <laughs> great. I don't think that, but I know that I can get up there and give a great speech, but it, it's not just that it, you know, people think you're a natural and it's like, I'm not, I had to learn this. I had to practice it. It's just the whole idea of like when I separate art and skill and expression, like some people, if you feel like you can naturally express yourself through talking because you just, that's how you do it with your friends. You're able to better express yourself and make sense of your thoughts. Like what's in here? I am able to make sense of what's in here by writing it down. Some people make sense of what's in here by painting or by drawing or through music or through talking to someone, be it a friend or a therapist or a partner. So if you're one of these people who expresses yourself through speaking, then you can learn the technical skills of being on stage because there's a technical skill of what to do and when to do it on yeah. stage. In the same way as there's a skill to podcasting, there's a skill to YouTubing. You can learn those skills if your natural form of expression is through speaking. Yeah. yeah. If you went and listened to my first episode of the podcast, you would see probably a very big difference to how I was on that to, to how I am today. And that's maybe a year and a half ago. Not that long an amount of time, but the, the growth quick. has been, yeah, it can happen quick. But yeah. It's very important to think about it in those terms and, and not let the fact that you might suck at the gate as you get started. Everyone does. Be something that stops you. Everyone does. Everyone does. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think we forget that. I think because we see people and go, oh, that painter is just naturally a painter. They probably just gravitated towards it as a younger kid or through their teens. But I looked at 11-year-old version of them and their drawing. It was probably quite bad. But it, you give them more leeway because, oh, they were a kid. They were learning. But they found that was their way to express themselves from a younger age. It's a bit different when it's podcasting or YouTube and or speaking on stage because we don't get to do that stuff when we're 10. That's something you do later in life, and it's not something you tend to be encouraged to do so much. But yeah, I think we all express what's in here in different ways. And if we can hone in on how we best express ourselves, the skill learning is just an afterthought, and it will take time to even come close to perfecting whatever those skills may be. Yeah. But the, the more you allow yourself to express yourself in a natural way, the better you'll feel, the greater impact you'll have on those you serve, however you serve them. And there's a way to make that a part of your business in some form or another and we're very lucky these days because there's many ways that we can get our art out there there's many ways thankfully. for it to express ourselves through video and audio and written word and everything else yeah and thankfully we have those opportunities more than ever let me ask you then as, as a writer is there a bit of advice you've ever received or a bit of writing wisdom that maybe you've just realized or, or come across that you would impart to other would-be writers? There's a few things. Read, write, and publish. That's what it comes down to as a writer. The more good books you read, the more good writers you read from, the more you will just find yourself feeling inspired and gravitating to your particular style and voice, it will just naturally become part of your own writing. Yeah. You've got to write more. You've got to write more because that's obvious. Yeah. It doesn't shouldn't matter be a how, surprise, that one, right? <laughs> shouldn't be a surprise. You need to write. You need to clocking the hours. You've got to write tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of words. Just get them out, whether it's poetry or articles or blog posts or journaling. Just write. If you want to get better at writing. But then the third thing, which I think people struggle with, because reading and writing can be a very private affair. It's the safe pace. It's, it's the equivalent of being in a house without picketed fence. Publishing is going beyond the pale. Publish your work. Get it out there. Whether it's a blog, 
whether it's writing the the most rubbish book in the world and putting it on Amazon and sharing it with your friend, that represents such a huge step for a writer because it takes you from being a writer to an author. It takes you from being a hobby to you being a pro. Mm. And Stephen Pressfield talks about this idea of being a pro. And it's something I think creatives struggle with. Expressing themselves and having it being theirs, that's easy. Expressing yourself and then having it being theirs, that's really, that's hard. That's hard. That's scary. I find it so scary. Like the thought that, like, soon this will be out and I've just started to send it out and people are going to read it. And it's a terrifying thing. Like, part of me is excited because I hope it'll help people. But I know that some people will write reviews and say, this is a rubbish book. Some people won't like this book and it's always scary, but you've got to publish what you write, be it a blog, be it a book, whatever, because it it represents a huge step. And the more you do that, the easier it gets to just let go of your little baby and let it fly. Yeah. Read, write, and publish. Great advice. Matthew, where can people find out more about you and your book? So you can go to beyondbook.co. So that's beyondbook.co. And the book, at the time of recording of this isn't available. It will be available in May as an ebook. I mean, the main launch for the paperback is, is August. But if you go to beyondbook.co, you'll be able to download a free sample to see whether it's something you'd like to read. And it'll also have all the updated links as and when they become available, as well as more information, me, links to my Instagram, private Facebook group that we do, which takes elements that appear in the book into them into a more practical um, application great. so yeah beyondbook.co and i'll give you all you need great and can people wait list to get their copy of the book uh, yeah grab a free sample and it adds you to a weekly newsletter which i send out every tuesday and we'll be doing for the hopefully the long term i like doing the, the weekly newsletter yeah i explain how people can get a book support the book be part of a launch team and such excellent that's all very exciting i'll make sure there's links in the show notes for people so do go and check the show notes or the notes below the video if you're watching on youtube and you'll find the links there to go and find out more about matthew and about the book beyond the pale and get yourself on the waiting list i hope that you will all enjoy the book Matthew, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you today. I really enjoyed the content of what you talked about. It's been a really fun and interesting conversation. Thank you for giving up your time to come and be a guest on the show. And I wish you and the book every success. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to like and subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review. It really helps. Why not grab yourself a copy of the last minute presentation checklist? If you want yours, visit presentinfluence.com and follow the download links. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who would or you're interested in sponsoring the show or finding out more about presentation skills, please contact me, john at presentinfluence.com. You can find me on Twitter at John A. Ball or on Facebook. Join the group Speaking Influence and come and find out more as well as getting daily content from me and updates on all the latest trainings and courses available. Also, check out my new podcast, Points of Change, all about life transformation and the people who make that happen. Lots of great conversations going on there, available on all good podcast players. Have an incredible week and join us again next time on Speaking of Influence.